we are back with another episode of the High Vibrations Only Podcast, a place where we're all about inspiration, motivation, and elevation. I am so excited to have on the show today. Let me tell you, these brothers have been all over the place. They are making moves and making a difference. And that's all it's all about. I am talking about entrepreneurs. We'll get into what they are currently pushing, but I'm talking about my brothers, Francis Quay and Jehu Graham. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, Appreciate you. Thanks man. for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Let's go. Indeed, indeed. Listen, I was saying that um, we met, it was probably 2018. 2018, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. At the time, I was the um, fancy title, senior digital content producer of um, Radio 1, Urban 1 DC at the time. And we were doing this um, campaign with Industrial Bank. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to spotlight Millennials Making Money Moves was the name of the campaign. And I was in charge of that. And I said, what you guys are doing, um, repping the continent uh, with Fly Shiki. You know what I mean? That's right. That's how we met. But between then and now, you guys have been working around the clock with this new initiative that I think is so important because one of the things we do on this podcast is to, as we say, you know, in the intro, is elevation. And part of that is financial elevation, you know, education. So you guys are currently all over the place with this amazing initiative. It's called Cheat Code. Yes, sir. That's yeah. right. Now, going from Fly Shiki to this. You know, right. you were the one, Jehu, you the one that reached out to me first about yeah. this. He was like, you know, this thing we're doing to help the black community and everything. And I was like, right. that is something we don't talk about enough. Right. So I want to ask you, what made you say, you know what, it's time for me to move in a different direction? Because that's kind of different from Fly Shiki. Right. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Uh, man, it was it was uh, a special transition, okay. I would say. Um, you know, I've always been, you know, a sponge for information. And Francis yeah. was somebody that was always teaching, yeah. uh, you know, through conversation. Anytime you get this guy in the room, yeah. he doesn't. If you put him in front of him and tell him to teach, it's a problem. <laughs> but if you don't tell him that, he always teaching. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. But um, he was always teaching, talking about the stock market. I was always a sponge for information. Yeah. And once I started really implementing the stuff that he was talking about, I saw just drastic changes. Like when it comes to, you know, my financial uh, life in general. So mm. just really attaining that information and him yeah. passing down that information really changed my life. And then I was like, hey, why not spread this across everybody that we know, our family, yeah. friends. And then from there, yeah. they brought their family and friends and it yeah. just organically grew to where we are today. But yeah, that is amazing. We're going to mm-hmm. get a little bit more into that. But before yeah. we do that, as you guys know, as is customary on the show, mm-hmm. we like to do a toast. So go ahead, grab, grab a glass. <laughs> yeah. Um, this right here is a toast to more life, to more health, and to more wealth. Amen. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Now, I was saying. Now, when I met this guy right here, right? Mm-hmm. Francis. I remember we short conversation i forgot what we were doing and you had to come to my office for i, I remember i forgot what it was yeah I'm you not came sure. with your kid that time yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't remember what were we doing like I, have no idea. I can't even remember right yeah but 
in that short conversation, man, he had me thinking about a whole lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we. Uh, this is probably when you yeah. were you had this idea to do oh, this project, yeah. the movie, and what the documentary. documentary which we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. And I mean, it was just it was a short conversation, short time we were together, but just being in your presence, I walked away being a lot more enlightened. You know what I mean? And so when he was saying about you're yeah. always a teacher, I can attest to that. Right. You know? Right. So what what is the what is the idea behind um cheat code? Well, the idea behind cheat code is that uh, you know, the foundation is each one teach one, right? Yeah. So when you know, it started with my father kind of teaching me about trading and investing and mm-hmm. stocks and stuff like that, and that yeah. gave me an ability, you know, I came home from prison did three years in prison, came home and had to make money for myself. Yeah. And so being able to make money in the stock market from a little bit of money, turned into a lot of bit of money, teaching other people that same skill set allows us to transform our culture. Yeah. Because when we realize that as black people in this country, the only reason why we are in the position that we are as a group, socioeconomic group is because a lot of the information has been kept from us. We're just now getting hip to information that other cultures have had for centuries, essentially, right? And so uh, the way we look at things is the quickest way for information to spread is from one person to another. So, you know, we teach, and then the students who come up and they learn and they master skill set, they teach other people, and we kind of pass down information about trading and investing um, that way. It's the same way that our ancestors have done for generations, right? We weren't a culture that sat down in classrooms and pass information or wrote things down a lot. It was really from one person to another. Yeah. And so we kind of replicate that same model with Chico, just making sure that we all level up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's, that's the foundation of it. And, um, I saw, um, I saw a powerful, um, caption on social media. It says that two black men are want to be one of the few, um, Publicly traded companies. Publicly traded companies right, in yeah. New York. And, and I yeah. thought that was so um, inspirational. Yeah. You know what I mean? Seeing that. And you guys have been, I was telling my producer before we started, I was saying that you guys have been everywhere. You've been on mm-hmm. Earn Your Leisure 85 South show. You've been literally just moving and pushing this um, this new initiative. You know what I mean? And what another exciting thing about it, too, is you guys actually have a textbook. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, and you know what's funny? You talked about the school curriculum. So the first time I I saw that, I was like, "Yo, it'd be dope if this can actually be in classroom." So speak about first of all how you guys went from was it sixteen mm-hmm. to sixteen like, people to like eighteen thousand people? Man, it was a journey. Um, <laughs> it was definitely a journey, man. Yeah, nothing, nothing to be uh, you know, nobody would have thought like you know from then we would be at eighteen thousand people. You know, yeah. today in the community. Uh, we just started again so organically, just you know, one person, one foot in front of the other, just each day, just showing up, yeah. you know, implementing the information, executing, yeah. participating in the market yeah. uh, on a day to day basis, and um, you know, it just goes to show in life in general, right? Anytime you have you know any challenges or anything that you aspire to you know conquer, you just got to put one foot in front of the other, and I yeah. just feel like you know just that that simple factor alone and that simple foundation alone is what brought us this far. But yeah. I'll let Francis touch on the stock, the yeah, textbook man. and everything. Look, yeah. you know, virality, man, is like, like I said, mm-hmm. things are viral. They yeah. viral. And then on top of that, you got COVID, right? Yeah. Like COVID mm-hmm. came and that was a big factor because yeah. mm-hmm. when COVID hit, everybody was home. Yeah. So 
right? And everybody had to start paying attention to something different. And also people realized how fragile their careers and things that they've been doing was, was yeah. and ability to make money. Once things shut down, everybody's like, yo, how do, how do I make, you know, put yeah. food on the table now? Yeah. So when you talk about making money from your cell phone or from a laptop, yeah. clicking a couple buttons and turning $100 into $200, 200 to 400 yeah. That's a that's a very you know powerful narrative, right? Yeah. And so that really was a big part of how we transitioned. But then when it comes to the textbook, we also realized like, look, how many you, you went to college? Mm-hmm. How many years were you in college? Well, in total, mm-hmm. four. Four years. Because I did a year at UDC and three at um, Howard. All right, cool. So you had four years, right? How many textbooks did you go through when you were in school? Woo. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? A lot. a lot of textbooks. Yeah. And then go back to high school. How many, yeah. We had textbooks for every class. For yeah. every, so your brain is hardwired to learn in a certain format, right? Mm. You, We literally have gone through a traditional educational system to have a teacher, um, somebody there to answer questions, physical learning materials. You can go home and study. When you got a test coming up, you can read through your textbook and, and cram it out. And so, but when it comes to uh, financial education, when we look at around the, the, the board, everybody's just pushing courses online and things of that nature. People are having to pay for courses and online courses has a success rate of like a failure rate of like 90%. Most people don't even finish the course, right. That you buy online. So we're like, okay, how do we start to reach people where they are? Right. And, uh, and so, and I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do. You you around my age, right? Well, 30, 33, 33. I just turned 33 this year. There you go. So we're the same age. So I know you remember encyclopedia Britannica, right? Everybody had in their house that series of textbooks that yeah. sat on that library or yeah. under the wherever they had them at. The we TV. had a library <laughs> yeah. of you know encyclopedias, yeah. and like that was a wealth of, that was like the household knowledge base. And so I was like, okay, how do we replicate something like that where people can have something in their hands, learn about stocks from A yeah. to Z, like all the way from what is a stock all the way up to complex things like Fibonacci levels and how to time your entries and exits into stocks and mm. stuff like that. And then also the textbook has video lessons that come with it. So you can hit a QR code and then you also get the video format. Yeah. So it's just all about trying to serve people where they are. Cause yeah. you know, it's just important. You know what I mean? Yeah. Plug the website. Now that we're talking about that right quick. Yeah. yeah. Stock, stockmarkettextbook.com. Okay. Make it super easy for <laughs> okay. you. You don't got to do much stock yeah. market textbook. There's a cheat code. Yeah, website too, right? yeah, definitely. Yeah. So CheatCode.com, we actually own, uh, that's our umbrella uh, okay. platform where you could go, you know, consume the digital yeah. uh, content that we produce as yeah. well as like, you know, join the community, join the free live classes, free live trading floors, yeah. and just participate in the information on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. That domain yeah. was not cheap, by the way. It was ah. not. Yeah, that domain was not cheap. Cheatcode.com. Because I've seen a lot of cheat code stuff out there. Yeah. 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 We own the trademark as well. So, you know. That's dope. Yeah. That's you know, dope. Ownership how is long? How important. long did you take you guys to get the trademark done? Because, mm. yeah. Close to a year. Yeah. Close to a year. As a matter of fact, we, we were in a... a uh, trademark war. A trademark war with somebody <laughs> in our space who oh, also wow. was trying to do something that was the cheat code. Yeah. Right. And so fortunately for us, we filed the trademark one week before they filed it. Mm. And we ended up getting the trademark and they ended up having it. I don't know what they did with it, but yeah, no longer dissolved. Yeah. 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 That is so important. And I want you to speak to, I know we're talking about Chico, but briefly on trademark and the importance of it, because 
I don't think people realize that even this podcast, yeah, like when we, I had to begin the process of doing a trademark for yeah. it because of how common it, the name is. Mm-hmm. You could put it on literally everything, everything. You know what I mean? And everything. people don't realize that in yeah. our community. Not yeah. <laughs> well, the thing about it is this, right? What we see a, a lot of times, you know, we don't think about those things ahead of time. And if we do, you know, we might not understand how it works. And yeah. so something like high vibrations or Chico, for yeah. example, you know, it was it wasn't as difficult of a process to get the trademark because trademarking you have different use cases, yeah. right? So somebody else could have cheat code for let's just say music. Um, music. Matter of yeah. fact, there's a music podcast yeah. called the Cheat Code. Yeah. So they might have a trademark for cheat code in the concept of music. We have the cheat trademark for cheat code for online educational platforms, yeah. right? So if you want to do a class online, it doesn't matter what the topic is, um, and you you call it the cheat code. We, we got. Some, some, yeah. some issues, right? Yeah. So there's just different categories of classes that you can get for trademarks. Yeah. It's not that expensive. Um, it is important to do because, yeah. again, like our whole business would be yeah. completely different right now if we yeah. didn't pursue that ahead yeah. of time, which was I'm, I'm glad we did. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. When you speak about, you know, the things that we're the last ones to know of as a community, why is it, what do you, in your experience, what do you think is the issue with especially black folk when it comes to the stock market? What is the, the hesitation that we have with doing that? We always getting scammed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So black people, yeah. we always... We it's, always. it's unfortunate. I, I think a, a lot of things that are introduced to us too, um, yeah. we're introduced in the wrong way. Mm, it's like right. somebody finds the information first yeah. and maybe that person gets greedy like, oh, there's such a huge market share. And then they might not be an expert, a full expert in the space. So they're like, all right, how do I monetize this? But they go about monetizing it wrong without the education because the people are not educated on the topics yet. So it's like if you go and try to educate the people and you're not the most you know, efficient person yeah. in the process, you're obviously going to end up stepping on toes. Yeah. And based on, you know, obviously like <laughs> past experiences yeah. and not being able to trust different you know, yeah. communities and things like that, it's like, all right, yeah. like, once we're burned once, especially if you think about things like Forex, that's something that, you know, it oh, always yeah. comes example. up. Yeah. Perfect example. It's like, yeah. all right, Forex was introduced to our community in a very, like, not, not educational. Yeah, in a scammy <laughs> way, pretty much. So the person that came, uh, essentially introduced the, it was just the whole thing was, okay, network marketing. It wasn't about the education and actually learning the skill set to monetize in the Forex market because yeah. it is a trillion dollar market. Yeah. It's actually a very real thing that a lot of communities monetize on the day-to-day Crazy. basis yeah. every single minute of the day. Yeah. So it's like, all right, why is it that, you know, so that's, that's the reason, honestly, in my honest opinion, I believe yeah. that's just one of the things that, that just goes around in our community, but yeah. it's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at even the Forex space at that time, mm-hmm. again, this is a, this is the largest financial market. Yep. In the world, yeah. right? Forex, you're talking about currencies, money. Yeah. You're literally trading money back and forth. Yeah. Very legitimate industry. But the majority of the people who were pushing it online yeah. were a lot of black entrepreneurs who were selling the memberships, but not actually the skill set. Yeah. And so then when you get people who come in and they try their hand, they're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and test this out. Yeah. They have a negative experience. So now they no longer want to, now everything in that realm becomes scammy to them, right? Mm-hmm. As particularly the person who's teaching it to them. And then on the other end of it, you have the industry itself. The stock market is it works like this. You know, stock prices go up and down based off of the emotions of the market, mm. right? Meaning 
if the majority of market participants, meaning individuals like you or I, yeah. institutions, hedge funds, if a majority of them think that a stock is going to go up, they're going to buy it. And the more people buy it, the less supply of stock there is, so the stock prices go up, supply well. and demand. So what ends up happening is by the time the average person sees a stock going up and believes that a stock is going to go up, it's already gone up significantly because the people who are a lot smarter with a lot more money have already bought it low. Yeah. Right, so it starts going up. They see that all these these big people buying it, they go, it goes up. Now here come the smaller people yeah. like you are getting in. Yeah, then it goes up some more. And by the time they it gets up high enough, where the rest of everybody else jumps in, yeah. the guys who bought it down here that bought up millions of shares, they start dumping their shares. Yeah, and then the stock prices come down. The average Joe who took their advice from their barber who said buy this stock, yeah. they end up getting burned. Right. Yeah. And then now they're like, yo, the stock it's market just sucks. They say, yeah. I lost 10000 lost 5000 whatever it is. And then they pass that experience on from them to their kids, yeah. the kids to the next kids. So now nobody wants to participate. And yeah. so that's really what it boils down to. But I, I, I equate it to this, right? If you were to get onto a basketball court with LeBron James or even an NCAA yeah. collegiate D1 athlete, yeah. chances are you're going to get balled up. Right, chances are you're not going to be able to get that ball in that hoop. Oh, I'm going to get balled up for real. Because <laughs> I ain't no baller. For you know what I mean? <laughs> That's just the truth of the matter. Yeah. Most of us, that we, if you don't have training yeah. on get, on how to dribble properly, how to break left, break right, you know, hit the, hit the shot, you're going to get balled up most of the time. And even if you get a lucky shot, you know, you it doesn't mean you're going to be successful long term in it. So most people, because the barrier to entry is very low in the stock market, yeah. all you have to do is download the app put some money in your account, and you can buy and sell whatever you want to. They enter, they walk onto the court without any prior knowledge or training the fundamentals of how this mm-hmm. thing works and moves. Yeah. And then when they end up losing money, they're like, okay, that's it's the, it's the court's fault or it's the yeah. game's fault. And the game is rigged. Of course the game is rigged, but you yeah. have to unlearn, learn the rules of the game yeah. in order to find success. You see what I'm saying? I also feel like, I don't know if I, I think I kind of mentioned it when I first met you guys. Mm-hmm. My dad, when he was alive, he would take me to like these seminars, like mm-hmm. on stock and different things like that. Because he'd be like, "Man, there are people who are making money without ever leaving Leave their the houses." House. And that's, that's right. the thing. Yeah. He was so passionate yeah. about it. Then I was, you know, and he's part of the reason that now, you know, I'm just looking into it, being interested in it. But I also realized that sometimes it feels like a full time job. Yeah, it can be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, cause, and then for, for and, and this is another thing too, speaking from the perspective of someone who may be focused on something else, right? Right. You don't always have the time. So what would you say to someone? Because most people have a nine to five or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and for them, investing in stocks is something on the side. You yeah. know what I mean? There yeah. are people who invest in stocks, but they made most of their money doing something else. So yeah. how, how do you navigate that? Because, like you saying, we need a textbook for this. Yeah. That's like going to school. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, there's. Yeah, no, I'll, t- I'll touch a little bit on it because yeah. I, when I used to work my nine to five, this was a yeah, huge thing. Right. So I've, I've been, I've sat, I've sat in those same seats that yeah. everybody, like, you know, I get this question all the time. Like, hey, Jay, who like, you know, when you were working your nine to five, how were you able to balance yeah. being able to actually participate in the financial <laughs> market? Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, participating in the financial markets. And at the same time, you know, making sure that, you know, you're getting your money, you're getting your cheddar on the, yeah. on the side. 
And I mean, you know, there's different skill sets that you can learn in the financial markets, especially when it comes to trading. There's, you know, day trading where you have to open and close a position in the same day. There's swing trading where you can open and close your position, you know, days after, maybe a week or a couple of weeks after. And then there's long term investing, which is like, you know, really sitting your money in solid companies or index funds or mutual funds, whatever it may be. Right. So you just got to choose whatever fits. And Francis says this all the time, you know, your personality and your risk tolerance really tells what type of strategy you need to execute in the market. Personally, I'm not somebody that's like, like overly risk averse, but I'm medium, right? I I understand the risk. And if the risk makes sense, I'm more than willing to participate in it. You just got to make sure that your risk, your downside is not as great as your, obviously your upside when it comes to stocks. So when I was working my nine to five, you know, I'd be trading, getting into trades, you know, get on calls or like, you know, being a group text back and forth. Yeah. I'd have something to do real quick, get my money, place my trade. Yeah. I know I'm confident in the position I trade just because I've practiced. I've, I was putting before I started trading, education is also extremely important. Yeah. I was putting in a lot of hours. Like I'm talking midnight hours and this guy's a night hours. It would yeah. be up to like four or 5 a.m. Yeah. Just talking about stocks, companies, the CEOs, the management yeah. for the companies and things like that. So you mm-hmm. just got to make sure that before you enter the market and participate, you got the education and the foundation solid. Yeah. That way, when you're making the decisions in the market, you know that your decisions are going to play out exactly how you need them to. But eventually, uh, for me personally, (laughs) once I got to the point where I was so confident in my skill set, being able to like, you know, pull um, uh, money out of the market whenever, you know, I felt like pulling money out of the market, just participating in the market. I was able to actually fire my job and, you know, go full wait, time. Wait, wait, stop. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. He didn't say I quit my job. Nah, nah. <laughs> he said I fired my yeah. job. Yeah. I did funny. tell him I quit, though. In a, in a, in a text. In a text. We, we was over here. We were at Bar Louie. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, I would we never went, forget. We yeah. went, to, we went yeah. to Bar Louie. Yeah. This man, this man was like, man, look, I missed out on twenty bands today because the rest of the group, the rest of the group text hit the trade. Yeah, yeah, some dudes made thirty, eat. some dudes made eight thousand, oh and he was, he was I like, was Yo. busy working. Yeah, he was like, man, I sold my my position because I was at work. So and he was like, wanna, I missed yeah. out on twenty thousand. He said, man. He said, man, F this, man. I'm about to. He, whipped <laughs> out his, he whipped out his phone and literally sent the text. He said, hey, uh, Sarah, I'm not coming into work. I'm not coming I'm back. <laughs> I'm not coming back. You uh, wouldn't even put it in two weeks. Nah, nah. No I said if they were if they were gonna fire me, they didn't put it in two weeks. Two weeks. Hey. So I was like, hey man, that's that's a word right there. Yeah. I was like, listen, I missed out on 20k. The next I 20k, I want to make that. sure I'm not missing that one. Text, like, hey, listen. Yeah, <laughs> nah. Coming back. <laughs> nah. And see, here's the thing about it. What people gotta mm-hmm. understand about like about working a nine to five. Yeah. Is that. There's so many opportunities in the market. Like, literally, the stock market is open from 9.30 to 4, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. if you're working 9 to 5, it's going to be very difficult to make those hours, yeah. right? But that doesn't that's not the only market. Mm. Right. Forex is open damn near 24-7. Yeah. Futures is open, like, 24-5. Yeah. Like, you know, um, crypto. crypto is open 24-7 every yeah. single day, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're working a 9 to 5, you can make hours to trade other assets. So Forex is currency pairs. Futures is trading commodities like oil and gas, gold, wheat, pork pork bellies, like, you know, bacon. Like, bacon prices go up. You're not making any money from that. You're spending that money if you're eating bacon or or whatever it is. (laughs) Gas, you're spending money on the gas, but you can actually make money in the futures market trading those commodities back and forth. And so, 
if when you learn how to do these things and you learn how to trade one asset, you can trade multiple assets. And so when you come home from work, you can craft, you know, carve out two, three hours of your day to day trade other asset classes, right? And the thing is, the reason why it's so important, bro, is like, look, you go to work and you have a set salary. Every two weeks, you expect a certain paycheck. There's nowhere else on God's green earth that you can take your paycheck, put it into a, a um, an account on your phone, click some buttons, and then double your paycheck or triple your paycheck or quadruple your paycheck. Like people do mm. it every single day. That's what happened with him. He, he saw the first twenty thousand dollars on a on a on a phone. It's almost not even real. Yeah. And so it's like, if you can do something like that, why would you not at least spend the time and effort and educating yourself on the opportunities? Like this is where the richest people in the world operate. Like yeah. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, uh, Warren Buffett, these guys are not billionaires, a lot the richest people in the world solely because of the business. Mm-hmm. They're the richest people in the world because they own the stock of the business. The yeah. business is publicly traded. Yeah. So Bernard Arnault was the richest person in the world. Of like what, well, like last year he overtook Elon Musk. That's the guy who owns Louis Vuitton brand. I think Elon's back up now. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. But the, but yeah. my point in that is that the reason why he overtook Elon Musk was not because he did anything different, mm-hmm. was because his stock price yeah. surpassed and Elon Musk Tesla stock had dropped. So yeah. t- Elon Musk's net worth dropped. So their net worth is literally tied to the ownership of stock in the publicly traded companies, and so this is where people become billionaires, and that's why we, when we were talking about taking our company public and that being our ultimate goal, there's only six or six black owned publicly company, publicly traded companies. Is that small? Including mm. Radio One. Oh yeah, of course. I was about to say yeah. Radio One. Yeah. Shout out to Kathy. Yeah, shout out to Kathy. Kathy yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, one of the very few yeah. black owned publicly traded companies yeah. is not a whole lot of us out there. And mind you, there's like seven, eight thousand companies on the on the stock only market. Six? Did y'all know that? Yeah. Did y'all know that? Out yep. of thousands. Less, Did you know that, Brayden? Less than one percent, less than a half of a percent, even That's more. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about wealth in our in our mm-hmm. society and our culture, like yeah. that's where the wealth is, yeah. right? Like the wealth is locked in the public markets. Yeah. So if you want to see real wealth, you have to have an understanding of it. It doesn't mean you have to be a day trader if that's not what you want to do, mm-hmm. but at least understand what is a good stock to buy and invest in. So instead of me going broke to look rich, buying Mercedes Benz and Nike yeah. shoes and stuff like that, instead of buying Jordans, I'm going to buy Nike stock, right? Yeah. And understand how do I invest in Nike stock? When is a good time to buy Nike stock? Because you yeah. can buy the right stock at the wrong time yeah. and still lose money. But it's like learning those things, yeah. and that's how you build wealth over time. Instead of like trying to wear you wear like you know the Louis Vuitton. I'm making Bernard Arnault richer yeah. by oh, yeah. wearing Louis belts and Louis yeah. this and Louis that. Meanwhile, I don't own a share of Louis stock, so as yeah. Louis, Louis stock is going crazy. Yeah, you know what, what I'm saying? What, what, you know, you touching something so critical, like. What is it, in your opinion, what is it with the black community, you know, with, with the being flashy? Like, where we, mm. we go, we're, we're willing to go broke to look rich. What is this thing, in your opinion? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you don't got yeah. it, but you why, do you, why do you care about people, making people think that you, well, what is that? Yeah, I think we just like nice things, honestly. At the very root of it, like when it goes even back to like, you know, I grew, I was born and raised in Ghana mm-hmm. and like, you know, the chiefs and stuff like that, you know, gold and yeah. all those type of things were always just abundant in our right. culture. Mm-hmm. It was nothing that we had to like kill or fight or go to wars for like mm-hmm. till this day. Yeah. 
you yeah. know, till this yeah. day, that stuff is still so abundant that yeah. different, you know, these superpowers go back to our countries to, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. steal these uh, resources. So I think it's something that's just embedded in our DNA to the point where it's like not even explainable when it comes to the influences and, you know, throughout the diaspora. Mm-hmm. It's like now it's like, OK, we want nice things, but it's trapped into a system that. To get those nice things, you have to go through certain channels that if you're not familiar with those channels or how to get past like ownership in different companies and these structures that have already been built in these different countries, you're going to end up doing something, you know, wrong, essentially, to try to get those resources to make yourself feel like you're supposed to feel without being able to even explain why you want those things, you know? So that's, that's my touch on it. But yeah. 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 I mean, I think, you know, it's definitely got a component like where it's it's culturally is in our DNA. We come from a culture of abundance. Like Mm -hmm. even though we've been, you know, tricked into thinking Africa is a place of lack, we are the place where all the resources come from. So if you take a people of abundance and you put them in a condition of scarcity, they're going to, it's it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be exponentially compounded how much they desire the, to get back to their natural state of being abundant, right? And so when you take that and then you combine that with the, then the fact of companies like Bernardo uh, with um, Louis Vuitton, um, you got, even look at what they did with Diddy and Ciroc, right? I want people to really understand how the music industry really controls our narrative as a culture because Diddy doesn't actually own Ciroc. I didn't know Diddy didn't know Ciroc. I thought Diddy owned Ciroc. Stop playing. No, Diddy don't own Ciroc. He don't even own a little bit? I don't know if he owns a little bit. I know yeah. he's not an, he's not an owner in Ciroc. What crazy. I know is Diddy is under a marketing agreement with Ciroc. And so the actual owners of Ciroc put Diddy under a marketing agreement to present Ciroc to our community and sell Ciroc to our community. And that's where... All of a sudden, you got Ciroc boys. It's marketing That's campaigns. That's a promoter, pretty and much. And so you don't even realize when you go to the club, now you want to order a bottle of Ciroc, you're literally being conditioned to want Ciroc when you get there. So that's a small example. When you now look at the marketing campaigns from uh, companies like Louis Vuitton and Birkin bags, I, don't, I ain't never I never knew what the hell a Birkin You couldn't slap me in the face <laughs> with a Birkin bag. I don't know what it is. But I know Birkin bag because it's yeah. in our culture now yeah. through the music. So the music industry, people at the top, they get contracts and deals with brands and things of that nature, luxury brands, to put luxury items in front of a low-income audience and then stimulate them to now want to sacrifice to to uh, to, to uh, achieve those or to, to get those uh, items in their hands. And so that's how you have Louis, Louis Vuitton brands. Bernardo Not would not be the richest person in the world at all, not even in the conversation, if it was not for black people buying Louis Vuitton, right? Um, Rolexes of... Uh, Polos, like polo would have been dead and gone a long time ago if black people weren't keeping polo up. Timberland yeah. boots, like think of these, like Nike, the entire company of Nike would not eat. The fact that they went and were trying to, to uh, boycott, what was his name? Um, oh boy, what did they, uh, first off, um, Kanye, they had the whole Kanye thing, but oh, yeah. it was uh, Kyrie, was it Kyrie Irving? Kyrie oh, yeah. Irving that, too, yeah. That yeah, they, yeah, tried, Nike, they tried yeah. to do the thing with Nike. Yeah. yeah. It's like, bro, do you understand that like without Black people, there is no Nike. You know what I'm saying? Like, just think of that. Like, literally. And so, it's like, we don't understand the power that our audience has, even right now in the space that we're in. I can't tell you how many uh, people or, or like, you know, entities would try to do do work with us to get exposure to our audience Mm -hmm. so that they can, you know, uh, get their products in front of our audience, which there's nothing wrong with as long as it's something that is beneficial to our audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? 
And so um, it's just a huge thing. So I think with, with our culture, this is where uh, education comes into play and mindset change comes into play because there's nothing wrong with wanting nice things. There's a, something wrong with wanting nice things at the expense of your necessities in your, your day-to-day life, right, if you don't have the basis covered. So that's um, it's just something that I think we just have to work through as a culture where we – and I think it's changing. You know, people are now starting to have different types of conversations. Now it's becoming cool to want real estate yeah. and want to own stocks and want to own these things. That stuff was like nerdy back in the day. Nobody cared about yeah. it. You know what I'm saying? So. Yo, that is crazy, man. But, you know, I, I'm glad you touched on that because, I, to be honest with you, I thought Diddy owned something with Ciroc. <laughs> I thought, I thought it was his. I thought it was his completely. Ciroc, Diddy on. All that. Yeah. yeah. I thought he was just 100% owner. But, you know, that is such a powerful... I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because um, that's a good social media clip right there. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, it, a lot of us... This is what I was saying to my producer offline. I was like, it's, we have the highest spending power, but we make the least. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All of these companies... And, and, and I'm so glad that you guys are on the show today because... It's crazy how we're enriching these people. Yeah. Yeah. You and know, not getting a single piece of it. Not getting a single piece of it. <laughs> Trust me, man. At a compounding crazy. level. Yeah. And this is why this is important. And this right. is, and exactly. Yeah. Because I've literally watched people 10x, 20x their net worth. There's nowhere except for business ownership. Yeah. Right. I would say you can definitely do it owning a business yeah. that becomes successful, but it's much more difficult. Yeah. Because instead of understanding what is a good business for you to buy or invest in or trade, you have to understand multiple things in business, how to market, how to sell, how to hire staff. It's a much more difficult process. But there's nowhere you can go to 10x, 20x your yeah. entire net worth yeah. over a period of time yeah. except the stock market. Like you can do it in real estate, but it takes a lot longer with a lot more headaches. Yeah. Plumbing goes out. You a, lot go more capital. a lot yeah. more capital. A lot more capital, a lot more issues, a lot more pitfalls. Stocks are very simple. Trading is very simple. Like... I see candlesticks. I understand the technicals of the candlestick. If the candlesticks move, if certain information comes my way, chances are the odds of this stock going higher is in my favor. Yeah. It's never going to be hundred percent. We never, we can't, we don't have a crystal ball to predict exactly when the stock is going to go up or down. But it's just like when you're at a casino if you play roulette. People always say it's trading like gambling, right? Yeah. Well, trading, well, gambling is very profitable for the house, yeah. right? For the end user, for the, the person who's going to the casino, if they don't understand the game, like, for example, poker, chances are they're going to lose. But there's professional poker players out there who will sit down at the table and clean house every time yeah. because they know how to play the game of poker. They know when to fold. Yeah. They know when to go, what the odds of success are with their hands. It's the same thing with the stock market and trading is that when I see a, a, a stock in a certain pattern, I know that this is my hand. Okay, I got pocket aces right here. My odds of succeeding with this, with this hand are 82 percent so i know that okay i can play this and even if it works against me i might lose a little bit but if if i win i'm gonna win you know three or four times what i put in same thing with some other patterns it might only have the 50 50 shot so it's all about understanding how that works and once you understand how that works it's like i mean it's it's one it's a beautiful thing because literally you look at money completely different different like, I don't look at money as something I have to go and necessarily work for now. Like, if I work for something, I'm working for to build something bigger, Yeah. right? Like, I'm working for, we're working within our company to build something much, much bigger. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't trade my way to a billion dollars, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just realistically, that's yeah. just not going to happen most likely. But I can build a company that can become a billion-dollar company. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, now when I work, my time that I'm, I'm going into is going in for equity in something that's bigger. It's not going in for cash per se. It's going in for equity. Now I'm building a larger equity pool. Yeah. So it's just something that, like, I just you know, think is man, cool. God, I could talk to you forever, bro, because you, yeah. you keep bringing up some key points. Um, you, you touched on business ownership realistically, because I know that's also another narrative that we were presented with as far as, you know, a, a good way to 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 mm. be wealthy and mm. that sort of thing. Do you think in mm. 2023, in this day and age, because, you know what I'm saying, like, it's been a lot of narrative around been an entrepreneur, like starting your own business, you know, in your opinion, like what you've seen thus far in 2023 for a lot of youngers out there who are saying, you know, I want to own a business. I want to start my business. Who even just started out right now. Yeah. What would you say to them? And they are thinking that this, this is the the path Mm. to financial freedom for me. Mm. Is that a possibility in this day and age? Yeah, I mean, it's, Let me take this one. yeah, go I'm, ahead. I'm gonna go swing ahead. it back to you. Nah, go ahead. Go <laughs> this ahead. one hits home real yeah. quick. Okay. Because, look, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know I've you've been, been talking about this one. Yeah. Man, look, I've been an entrepreneur since since I mean, honestly, since like seventh grade. Like yeah. I've been from oh, mowing yeah. lawns to mm-hmm. shoveling snow to whatever I can do. Yeah. I came home from prison in 2011. Mm-hmm. I did three years in prison. Mm-hmm. Came home. Couldn't really get a good job. I got a job yeah. like making seven dollars an hour doing electrical dig, digging ditches. Yeah. From 2012 onwards, I was an entrepreneur full-time. Yeah. Carpet cleaning, handyman work, mm-hmm. uh, social media marketing agency. Like, literally, it's been 12 long years mm-hmm. of putting in work day in and day out to, to be t- an entrepreneur. Yeah. And if I could do it all over again, I would not mm. have done it that way by, by a long shot. I would have gotten a good job, yeah. saved up some money, invested that money yeah. into the markets, into real estate, et cetera. Yeah. There's four phases to this game. Preparation, getting your banking, credit, and personal financial house in order. Yeah. Generating an income through job skills or a business or side hustles. Multiplying it through trading, investing, or real estate. And protecting it through trust funds, life insurance, or tax strategies. Right? Yeah. That's, the, that's the recipe. It's a four-step thing. Yeah. People jump straight to entrepreneurship and now realize that, like, it's... It, you, and to be an entrepreneur, you have to understand so many yeah. different facets, so many different skill sets in one. Accounting, marketing, sales, HR management. And one of these skills, we just went through this. We built a company. We did $5 million our first year. Mm. Learning how to hire staff and retain staff was one of our, we lost millions in that process. Over $3 million we we spent and lost and lessons on hiring and firing. And that's just one skill set that I never had because we I never got into the level that we are now. Yeah. So there's a whole nother level of lessons I had to learn yeah. on how do I really, you know, how do I manage people? Yeah. How do I find the right people, you know, and how do I not take those losses? So entrepreneurship is great yeah. if you are naturally inclined and are willing to invest in the skill sets mm-hmm. of learning all the aspects of entrepreneurship. You just popping out and saying, I'm selling T-shirts or I'm, you know, going to start a barbershop or whatever it may be, great, do that. But make sure you understand business. Like, I don't mean just, like, doing shit, like hustles. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we, we got too many hustles in our culture. Hey, but I'm a hustler. I'm a hustler. <laughs> Look, that's that's cool. the narrative that's being yeah, pushed. Yeah, right. That's cool, but you got to stand on business. Yeah. You got to understand True, true, true yeah. business. And if that if you don't if you don't have a passion for business, stay out of entrepreneurship until you're ready, until you have a nest egg. Because entrepreneurship is literally it's like starting a business is a baby. Yeah. 
when you start making a little bit of money in your business, if you got to live off of that income, you're taking food out of your baby's mouth. It's never going to grow. Mm. So you need to have a stable income outside of your business to see it successful. All these other white companies and white guys and stuff like that, a lot of these guys start with seed capital. They got loans from XYZ. They got 100000 yeah, 200000 Somebody father gave a million dollars to start a business. A million dollars, yeah. right? Yeah. And they know who I'm talking about. But, I mean, <laughs> he ain't the only one. There's a million of these. Of course. Million million million. Of they course. all start like that. Yeah. So you, here you are trying to start your business with $500 in your, to your name. <laughs> You make a little bit of money, then you got to go pay your rent. Something happens, and I've done this, I can't count how many yeah. times. The one thing I could tell anybody out there, yeah. if you're starting from scratch, get, find you some stable income first. And it don't even have to be a nine-to-five job if, mm. if it ain't for you. Nine-to-five was not for me. Yeah. But I, you could do Uber, mm. Uber Eats, yeah. um, something that you can do on the side to generate income, save up that money, and then start investing it yeah. where you see fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's just... Yeah, you you want to touch on that, mm. Jail? Mm. Man, yo, he, that that right there, that's another off, clip. I can go off for <laughs> hour about that. One, nah, man. he hit, he hit, he Woo! hit something. We major needed that. that. We cause cause you know, go go ahead. Yeah, you wanna, nah, yeah, go nah, ahead. Yeah, nah, he he hit home with that like yeah. the part about like you know entre- the baby and <laughs> taking food out of your baby's yeah. mouth. Like, oh my god, yeah. like that's. I was gonna say, man, like it's the seed capital thing. Like if you really want to start a business, yeah. like like do it like these again. You know. We're playing a game, and there's a very fine margins in the game. There's rules to the game. There's people that have played this game for, you know, centuries, essentially. You got to look at what they're doing. If I want to play basketball, I need a, you know, mentor. I'm looking at Michael Jordan. I'm looking at LeBron James. I'm looking at Kareem. What's, you know, what's the footsteps? What's the game? What's the real principles and the foundations and the fundamentals of the game? And I want to look at the people that have done it. Yeah. Learn and study those people. What is their path? Okay, when they started the business, okay, they started by uh, uh, going to a pitch competition. What did they need for the pitch competition? Oh, they needed a pitch deck. How did their pitch deck look? You just got to reverse engineer how these successful people have done it and do exactly. Don't try to think you're a wizard. I promise you. Like, you think you know everything when you get started and you realize, like, when you really get into, like, you know, business, there's so much that you don't know in this world. Yeah, it's insane. Like yeah. you learn so much. Like yeah. the, we were just having this conversation today, like, man, the amount of wisdom we've accumulated over the last like four or five years, yeah. Yeah. like we can literally are confident to take anybody and literally put them like, yo, yeah. this is what you, the blueprint, like yeah. step by step, this is what you need to do to get yeah. to where you want to be. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So just wow. watch the people that have already done it. Yeah. That is, I promise you it's like, Good food. Yeah. The recipe is already made. Yeah. You just got to take the recipe, yeah. put the ingredients together, yeah. cook it up, yeah. and make it what you want it to be. Yeah. That's it. And I'll also say this, too. You know, watch the people who you want to be like, but mm. more importantly, hire the people. Mm. Like, there are business coaches. One of my biggest downfalls as an entrepreneur, yeah. especially because I'm a leader. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, I don't know if anybody knows out there with me. I'm very stubborn, very hard headed, yeah. and I, I I have pride in what I'm doing, and yeah. I'm I'm very much like I can, I don't need anybody to yeah. tell me anything. I can figure it out on my own, right? No, like when it comes to this game, like if you're not willing to invest in a business coach or a business mentor, then don't even step in the field because like 
for us, you know, again, like I could have, I could have short path, shortcutted so many of the pitfalls. Like the major cheat code in this game is having somebody who's already done no it. Pun intended. <laughs> pun intended. Pun intended. Pun intended. Pun intended. You know what I'm saying? The major cheat code yeah. is you got to have somebody who can tell you how. That's what all these and this one going going back to other cultures, whether it's Asian, whatever it may be. They literally have a very strong culture of mentorship. Mm. We 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 try to you know point the finger at a lot of these white entrepreneurs yeah. as oh you know you got a uh, head start because your daddy did this and he taught you the game and gave you the money. That's what he's. That's what you're supposed to do. To do. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's what we're supposed to do as parents yeah. and as people. We're supposed to want to see same way Asian cultures do. Like there's nothing mm. wrong with nepotism to the point of saying okay. If I become successful, my job, like right now, I'm teaching my son right now, yeah. trading. He's 12. He's he's learning how to trade. He reads our stock market textbook. I got him, you know, money in his account to trade. He's going to have a 10 times head start over your kid. Yeah. And that's what he's supposed to have, right? Yeah. But if you don't have that, you got to go find somebody who can do that for you. And if you can't afford somebody to do that for you and, and nobody's willing to do it, then you need to go stack up your money, keep your idea together, either go pitch for that money, raise the money, or keep it together until you can afford to do it because I promise you're going to learn. You're going to take way more losses and unnecessary lessons than you're willing to take. And then on top of that, understand that entrepreneurship is not something that you do to make money. Mm. Entrepreneurship is something you do to solve problems. Mm. So when you want to start a business, if your business is not solving anybody's problem, yeah. If don't nobody need another T-shirt <laughs> to put on their back, <laughs> I it's don't even keep you. coming for my T-shirt, people. Yeah. It's it's almost like a rite of passage in our culture, honestly. <laughs> it's always the T-shirt. I've been there. So, like, what are you saying? You know. I know. It's not, I'm, I'm not knocking the hustle, right? <laughs> yeah. But if, if if you want to truly be an entrepreneur, provide some value. And if you're doing T-shirts and clothing, yeah. then the problem that you're solving is that, you know, maybe there's a message behind it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's a luxury brand that makes people feel a certain way. Like, yeah. people buy clothes because it makes them feel a certain way. So the problem that you just understand that if you're going to enter into selling T-shirts or doing whatever it is you're doing, you understand what is the value I'm bringing to the, to the environment. Like nobody cares about your brand because you put it on a thing. Yeah. Understand that you're creating an experience that people are going to feel something and that's what you're selling. Yeah. You're not selling the physical T-shirt product. So if you don't look at your business in that way, you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm about to take $100, buy 10 T-shirts for 10 Flip it to the floor. Like, bro, you're not... You're and not, then say you support black businesses. And then it's say like, support black business and get upset because you're not... <laughs> you're not doing big, good business. You know that's, what I mean? That's the problem. And then that's, yeah. then that's another thing, man. Listen. You're not Woo. doing good listen, business. Listen, listen, listen. You're not doing good business. Yeah. Yeah. Give listen. It, round it up. Listen, man. Woo. I know my ladies out here, yeah. my women are going to feel this one. Listen. Mm -hmm. Speak to them. All the ladies out there can attest to this one, right? Yeah, talk to that camera right there. All y'all ladies out there, because I've I I been through a couple different girlfriends that had the same problem. Yeah. And my girl right now tell me all the time, y'all go to these hairstylists or nail salons or whatever it may be. They charging crazy money. Their service don't, doesn't be as good as you would expect it to be. They got subpar service. You're dealing with unprofessionalism a lot of times. You're arguing with y'all and seeing... Plenty of things going viral about somebody getting cussed out by their hair salon person or whatever it may be. And then they, they just keep inflating the prices because demand is still so high, yeah. right? That's a prime example of what I'm talking about. People not doing good business. Yeah. 
they're doing these hustles, and then we as black entrepreneurs get a bad name and a bad rep because people are like, see, this why I don't do business with black businesses, right? Because X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. Now, we can cut down on that tremendously if everybody takes their business seriously enough to make sure that they're doing business properly, right? Understanding how to deal with customers and customer management, right? How to do have conflict resolution, how to, you know, all these different things play a factor. And I'm going to even say this too. If you're not personally developed enough to deal with people, like business is not, doesn't happen in a vacuum. You have to be good with dealing with people, whether that's customers or staff members. I am not great at dealing with people. <laughs> and I'm saying this because it's my person. I know I'm, I'm talk, talking to the entrepreneurs out there who probably going through the same thing. I'm a super introvert, yeah. right? And so I don't like managing people. Yeah. I don't feel like I should have to babysit you and tell you what you need to do when I hired you to do a job. You should know what your job is. Yeah. But that's not how... Unfortunately, employees work, and that's not how a lot of things work. So if you don't learn people skills, you're going to have a hard time in business too. So overall, the message is if you're going to be an entrepreneur, yeah. take the time to take your business seriously enough to learn the key skill sets that are required to run a successful business, yeah. right? And don't be out here giving black businesses a bad name. I'm going to tell you about it. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> you know Indeed. Indeed. Woo, that was so good. That was so good. Um, You know, is, is there? I was talking to... Maybe this was 2017, 2018, I think it was, maybe. Mm-hmm. Talking to a friend of mine out of Oakland, and um, the topic of, you know, stocks came up. I was trying to tell her that, you know, you can actually make a lot of money if you, you got this great job, but you can invest in stocks. Mm-hmm. She says to me, nah, how is that going to be possible? No, 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 it's possible because you, but no, no, but you need, a whole lot of money to invest in stocks. I, the reason I bring that up, mm-hmm. leading me to my question, is that because that's another misconception a lot of people have. Realistically, what is the least amount of money somebody can have right now as we speak to get started in the stock market? Man, it's it's however much money you're willing to lose, okay. you know? Um, and you can't be emotionally tied to the money that you invest because you Got make it. irrational decisions when right. you are your emotions are tied to the money that you're investing. Mm-hmm. I personally, once I got the information, like I'm talking the education, I'm talking four months of just immersive learning. A lot of us go to school, you know, college, four years, high school, four years. Yeah. And your hope is to get a job that's paying you like, you know, $70,000, maybe $100,000, you know, a really good job, you're comfortable. But this is a market that you're essentially going to school to learn how to make money, unlimited amounts of money, right? However much money that you want to put in work for. So it's like for like, let's say a good six months of like just immersive learning, like you're really locked in. I'm talking, you're learning, you know, three hours a day, two to three hours a day consistently for a good six months you'll be able to get like, you know, I started with what, $1,200 and I was able to trade that up to, I'd say, I think 18,000 or it was 40,000. Yeah. I hit the 40,000. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But you started with $1,200. $1,200. Yep. I'll never forget. Yeah. I did did $2,000 to $100,000 in, in uh, 24 days, 24 days in my girl's account. Yep. And I I got it. If you go on my Instagram, go back to my very first day. Yeah. My very first post Mm -hmm. is that, is that post? I literally I was testing out the cheat code algo, which is our software. 
Yeah. And literally went from $2,000 to $100,000 trading. But it, obviously, it was right conditions because it was COVID. A lot of companies were skyrocketing and stuff like that. But the point is that you can start with mm-hmm. any amount of money. Yeah. If you want to get into investing, you can buy partial shares. Mm-hmm. You know, you can buy partial shares on Robinhood right now for $5, $10, $10 $20. Yep. It doesn't matter what it is as long as you get started. And then the other part of that is to say you have – Options, which is a, a different type of instrument based on stocks that are much cheaper than the actual stock. I might, the stock might be $100, but the options contract might only cost me 10 bucks, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other end, you have dividends, mm. right? And dividends are a key thing I want everybody to understand as well because you can start with $10 a week buying a dividend-paying company, right? There's companies out there that are, let's say, own real estate or own natural gas pipelines, these companies uh, that own natural gas pipelines, they call like MLPs, Master Limited Partnerships. These guys own pipelines, and as oil travels through the pipelines, they get paid in what's called tolling. So as a certain amount of volume of oil goes through, they get paid based on that. Now, their expenses are very low, but the income they make from the oil going back and forth is very high. So they That is crazy. Crazy, bro. And mind you, the craziest part is they pay, some of them pay 14 15% dividend yield which means if you buy the stock every year you're going to get 15 percent of your money back paid to you as a check or added to your account so it's just like it's like um it's like almost like earning rent from from an apartment building monopoly so you know or you're going to buy REITs which is real estate companies who own like this apartment building right here is most likely owned by a real estate investment trust yeah and so this these companies go out and buy large scale apartment complexes or uh shopping centers and things of that nature they collect the rent and then they pay it to investors as a dividend. So instead of me going out and trying to buy physical real estate, I can, can own invest. the real, real estate stock yeah. and get paid part of the rent that they collect from everybody else yeah. and get paid to my, my, my portfolio. So what happens is if I'm getting paid 15%, if I put $10,000 in every year, I'm going to get $1,500 back mm-hmm. just for owning the stock. My 10000 stays there and I'm going to get 1500 every time. year. Now, if I take that 1500 and I buy more shares, yeah. that 1500 is also going to make 15%. So now I'm going to go from making 1500 every year to now I'm going to make what, like $175 on the 1500 mm-hmm. So now every year I'm going to make 1670 something or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And now if I take that 16 next year and I buy more shares, yeah. it keeps compounding and compounding and compounding. And this is how people get wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. So over time, their snowball is this freaking big because they've just been compounding for generations. <laughs> they got, you know what I mean? Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, and I was actually, I'm going to say this too, it's kind of random, but I was talking to my girl. We, we had to drop my dogs off at a mm-hmm. dog dog breeder, whatever, yeah. uh, boarding place. And they're like in a very rural area. And I was sitting there telling them, I said, listen, man, you know, as black people, we hate living in places like this because it makes us look broke. Yeah. But these guys out here that own these hundred acre ranches and their these, these little you know houses on there, they're making money from their land, right? The land is paying for their house, so they're making money from their where they live instead of paying money for where they live like we do. We pay rent, we pay mortgage, yeah. right? They their land is paying for their for their property. Yeah. Then on top of this, let's say they might make an extra fifty thousand, sixty thousand dollars a year from their their property from like <coughs> farming and stuff like that, whatever. Then they got their standard jobs, right? They own all these acres. Every year, those acres are most likely appreciating in some way, shape, or form, right? Mm-hmm. Because the neighborhood area starts to develop, stuff like that. Developments come down. You see Waldorf and places yeah. like mm-hmm. that that were yeah. completely country a couple of years ago. Now, all of a sudden, they're getting developed. Those guys who own all those ranches and, and acres out in Waldorf, 
Property value is going crazy. Wow. So now per acre, they're making more money. So now by the time their kids get from being born to 25, mm. they've now accumulated $50,000 a year from just the owning the house itself. Yeah. Then the property value has gone up tremendously from 25 years ago when they bought it. Yeah. So now by the time they turn around, they own a free and clear. So that's where you see a lot of these, these families. They'd be like, oh, yeah, my family ranch, my family farm, and yeah. da da da, da. Yeah. They, These guys have assets, and it's the same thing they do with their stock. So they take their income from their, their homestead, and then they buy shares of Apple and Disney. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. AT&T. And then yeah. those yeah. shares are paying dividends. And then the dividends are buying, they're <laughs> reinvesting and making more dividends, right? And now they, when they when they pass something on to their kids, they're passing on family rents for 50, 40 acres. They're passing on a portfolio of dividend-paying stocks that are making – not only does the stock going up 100 times, 50 times from when they bought it, but now the dividends are also being paid out. So now they're passing down <laughs> – this is generational wealth. This is how it happens, yeah. right? Meanwhile, you're like, man, I don't want to live in West Bumble. You know what I mean? You want to live in – in the city where you got to pay $4,000 yeah. for a little tiny thing or in the suburbs. And you don't even house. own a piece of that. And you don't even own it a lot of times. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So this is why our wealth just keeps getting dispersed. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're paying the REITs mm. and yeah. the people who are investing in the REITs. And so it's just, it's crazy. Like, all right, so let's think and take an apartment complex. You got 3,000 of us living oh, in an apartment God. complex, paying $3,000 a month in D.C. somewhere or wherever it is. That money is going to a real estate investment trust that owns that property. That money is also being owned by retirement accounts for a lot of people of different ethnicities, people of different ethnicities who are smart enough have been investing in that REIT, put money into. So now those that same person in Homestead is getting dividends from your rent. That is crazy. <laughs> that just made me feel bad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they, you feel me? And so this it. is how our yeah. money keeps, even if you're not spending your money on like Nike, this and a third, it's still going in the hands if you don't have ownership yeah. and if you don't understand how the money system works. This is how the money flows. Yeah. It goes from your rent to a REIT, a REIT to and somebody gotta, else's investment. We got to bring y'all back with part two, dog, because yeah. you keep talking and I'm like, it's just, it's just a lot, man. And I think infinite. it's so much that we don't know. Yeah. You it's don't know so what you don't there's know. so much we don't know because everybody chasing the same things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but you mentioned something. You guys have an app. Mm -hmm. if someone wants to yeah. It, it's yeah. what's the app? Cheatcode.com man. And it's everyone app store. Everywhere. Okay. Everywhere, every every place worldwide, yeah. cheatcode.com. You yeah. can find it in every app store. Apple and Android. Um, also, our software, like Francis mentioned, uh, Cheat Code Algo, we just had a new update, yeah. um, which is our version 5. That's going to be a game changer. It literally simplifies the process of being able to read charts and all those candles and stuff like that. Those are super intimidating for beginners. So yeah. we made it super simple where it just tells you the best times to enter, best times to exit, and, you know, make sure that you're profitable and such. And it comes with a guide of, like, you know, how to use it and everything like that. Super yeah. beginner-friendly stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, 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 exciting. Man, listen, I could talk to y'all forever. I'll, I'll oh, yeah. one or two questions before we get out of here. Mm -hmm. um, um, Francis, you have such an incredible story of... You talked about being locked up for three years. Do you mind talking about that? Is that something? Yeah, sure. yeah if you want to talk to... Just, you know, how you ended up there and, and the cheat code hmm. for turning your life around. I mean, that was the cheat code, honestly. Yeah. You got to sit in the, in the penitentiary with some yeah. burly old 40, 50-year-old dudes that just have a, 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 a bad mentality. Sorry, excuse yeah. me. Uh, you know, it definitely puts you in a different frame of mind. So, I mean, I ended up there because I was young and dumb. Yeah. Um, 
selling, you know, different types of drugs, uh, yeah. ecstasy, weed, stuff yeah. like that. You know, I was 18 years old, uh, fresh out of high school, didn't go to college. I was yeah. in the, uh, registered to community college for a semester. Yeah. And, uh, you know, had had some guys that were, you know, selling stuff for me. And then one of them got robbed. And so we went back and got it back, basically. And, um, you yeah, know, ended up locked up behind it. So we ended up doing, I uh, got sentenced to eight years. Got five suspended and ended up doing three. Mm. Um, and so on that three, you know, 18 years old, I'm 165, 170 pounds, soaking wet. Um, you know, going through that experience, you know, when I was in the jail, yeah. I was still somewhat of a knucklehead because yeah. in the jail, you know, you're 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 amongst local knuckleheads, right? And, and people who are just in and out on short time. Yeah. But when you get to the penitentiary, it's a different experience because that's where people are, you know, doing 30 years, yeah. 40 years. Yeah. And the moment that I can really point to to say that my perspective on life changed mm. was a very specific moment. Shout out to my guy, Rob, man. Um, Rob Nelson, he's actually home now, and he's doing very well yeah. as a handyman company, uh, a movie company called Muscle Man Movers. So if y'all yeah. check, check him out, tap in with Muscle Man Movers. But my guy, Rob, um, I got to the penitentiary, and... Um, you know, I had just gotten jumped by some Mexicans, some Spanish guys. Yeah. And, uh, but I, you know, held my, held my own in that situation. So a lot of the dudes started to kind of respect me as somebody who like literally, I, mean, I fought like six of these dudes yeah. at one time. And um, Rob was, he was just always walking around the yard and very humble, very low key. He'd be out there shadow boxing and stuff, but he always kept himself real fit and real clean and just real well put together. So I started, we started talking to him a lot more, uh, a lot, you know, throughout the time. And um, we sitting down one day and, you know, we, we, I'm going through his pictures, you know what I'm saying? We sitting down and topping it up. He had a bunch of pictures and stuff. So I'm looking through his pictures and I see pictures from, the, with this, from this dude um, with his boxing team. And, you know, he's like, yeah, this was, um, this was like 1988. You got a high top fade, you know, obviously way younger and stuff like that. And, um, and I'm like, damn, I'm like, man, 1988. I said, damn, you know, where, was, where did you take this picture at? Because he's from D.C. I was like, where, where in D.C. was this? He was like, nah, younger than that ain't from D.C. That was, that was in a different penitentiary, right? And I said, oh, damn. I said, when did you, you go home? You know what I'm saying? He was like, I ain't been home. Damn. Now, mind you, this is what would change my perspective on everything. Yeah. I was born in 90. Yeah. Me too. This, this man, uh, yeah. shout out to 90, yeah. right? So this man have been, has been locked up on the same sentence since two, since before my mother met my father, right? Yeah. I done grown up. I, I done had my first meal. I done had my, went to my first school bus ride. I had my first, I done did all these firsts. And this guy's been in the penitentiary since he was like 19 years old. Yeah. And this is 20 years of time that he's been incarcerated plus. And so, and then to see like his, his perspective on life and how positive he was and how level-headed he was. He wasn't like angry and aggressive and da da da, da. He was very peaceful, very calm, very wise individual. It just changed my outlook on everything. I'm like, man, I see all these other idiots in here that are, you know, been doing four or five years and they still want to be on some street time. And here this dude's been here for 25 years and completely different perspective. Yeah. And he was actually one of the ones who even taught me about finance. I learned a lot about financial literacy when I was in prison. That's where I first got introduced to credit. And understanding how to set up a business. You know, another one of the old heads, his name was Hollywood. He came home and actually got killed in Richmond. But he was the first person who taught me about 
how to save and invest. You know, he gave me a perspective. He said, you know, young, if you get $100, right, how much of it are you going to save and how much are you going to spend? And I said, well, I'll probably spend 80% and I'll save 20. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? He was like, nah, man, so you got it backwards. You know, he was like, you save the 80, right, so you have money to invest, and then you spend the 20. You keep the 80, and if you do it that way, you'll never go broke. Right. And that just simple lessons like that, you know, how to get credit and establish credit and leverage credit for business. I didn't get taught that in a great school. I was in a great school system in Virginia. Yeah. You know, when I got incarcerated, I didn't even learn that there. Yeah. I learned that in prison. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like that's really what changed my perspective on everything. And then also to like understand the history of black people. I learned that in prison also. I didn't know about the move bombing in the, 19, uh, in the 1980s when they bombed a black neighborhood in Philadelphia. I didn't know about African history. I didn't know anything about these things. And I literally used to go around our, our cell block and I asked dudes, I said, yo, name me five African historical figures in history. And they could, they could come up with like Shaka Zulu and Nelson Mandela. That was it. I said, name me five Europeans. Boom. King Louis this, that. Shakespeare. Woo, woo, woo. Everybody could know five white ones. And then I realized, like, yo, man, this is where they got us messed up, is that we don't, we don't even know our own history. We don't know our own culture. We don't know our, nothing about finances. I said, this is why we're in this condition. And that's what, like, changed my whole perspective on everything. So when I came home, I was what, what you would call woke. I was part of the woke army. You know what I mean? I was one of them dudes on Twitter that'd be like, before it was cool, you know what I mean? Before yeah. you had the whole tap, I used to be in it, man, like, right? And the people would be like, there's no racism. It's, 2000, it's, it's 2013. Yeah. Get over it. Slavery ever. Nobody was on the woke train, yeah. man. It's before mm. uh, Black Lives Matter yeah. and all that. Everybody used to call us like hoteps and this and the third. <laughs> so that's where it all happened at, man. Oh, man. That's Real such soldiers, a, man. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, Jehu, um, wow. Listen, we, we got to wrap up. But Jehu, yeah. I want you to speak before we, we, we wrap this up. Yeah. Um, as African kids, how can we... How can we make sure that we continually give back to the continent and that the continent does not die? You know what I'm saying? Because I, I've always believed that I, I talk to my little brother all the time. We're at seven or eight years apart. And I was like, you know, we, we never grew up in poverty. We were lucky and that sort of thing. But I think one of the crazy things about the continent is it's not like here where there's like the urban and then it's, you know, sometimes you're living within inches or, you know, yards of somebody who does not have. So mm -hmm. while you might be driving around with an expensive car, it might be some kids who are walking around bare feet. Mm -hmm. And reflecting on that for me, what I'm so passionate about, of course, is a commitment to the black race all over the world, mm -hmm. but also understanding that everybody, the goal is not for people to leave the continent. The mm -hmm. goal is for Come the back. continent to be self-sustaining. Self mm -hmm. um, I don't believe in people, shout out to everybody who's done that, celebrities, that's great. Mm -hmm. But I don't think going to the continent and adopting a kid is going to help that kid's family because the kid may not even recollect their family. They may not even have any knowledge of that. Yeah. I believe that we want to create a continent that can sustain itself. In your opinion, what can we as African kids all over the world, what can we do to make sure that the continent does not die and that the continent is what it's supposed to be? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a packed, packed question. <laughs> but um, I, I, I think about this stuff all the time, and yeah. it's actually part of, like, one of my biggest, like, purposes in life just because 
Man, I was I was one of the lucky few that was able to make it here. I definitely I I didn't grow up well off. I grew up, you know, in in poverty. I know what it feels like to sleep on concrete, mm. you know, to not have a meal, to share one meal with my mom, my brother, who is mm. also seven years older than me. Yeah. So that did really hit me. But um my part of my biggest vision is um to be able to create an incubator system um, back home yeah. that provides people with resources. Like yeah. there's people till this day that are still learning how to code, mm. you know, computer software code on chalkboards, mm. like with just a chalk and a blackboard. Yeah. Um, and I believe the talent back home is just so, so vast that it's just information and yeah. systems and structure is what's going to really like take us to the next level. I believe yeah. this is stuff that, you know, for example, in the United States, right, the United States has been through the industrial ages and, you know, different, you know, evolutions of the, you know, nations and things like that. And currently back home, we just don't have that. Like mm. even railroad systems is something that's not developed back home currently as we speak. Right. So being able to have those like, you know, infrastructures built out back home, just taking the information and the systems and everything that's worked here. And then being able to, you know, um, educate people back home that have the same passions and align on the vision mm -hmm. and the direction that we want to move. Somewhere like a Dubai is a perfect example of how we can do and replicate the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Dubai was literally a desert mm -hmm. two decades ago. And yeah. now Dubai is the most, you know, yeah. self-sustaining, highest growing economy, well visited, you know, tourism, everything like that offering athletes $1 billion and yeah. stuff like that just to bring more uh, people into the infrastructure. So yeah. things like that, I believe it's top down and not bottom up, right? Mm -hmm. Africa currently has a issue with management and also leadership, just yeah. being able to actually come together, make sure that the resources that the world needs and value so much, like in Dubai, oil is one of the main things, right? They captured that resource and they were able to monetize that resource and to bring in more revenue into the um, system, the city, and building the city from there. So education, information, and just the system in general. So that's that's the three main things that I would say will really take us to the next level when it comes to really taking us there. I feel like some there. parts are like really developed, but I think it's like pockets of it. Yep. Like you yep. talk about railroad. I'm, I mean, I know, for instance, that in Nigeria, for yeah. instance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Giant, mm, yeah. Nigeria is yeah. a whole different, mm -hmm. you know, shout out to Nigeria. Yeah, yeah. I got a rep everywhere I go. Yeah, for um, sure. But I think there are some countries that are like well off yep. with that, um, yep. with that development. Mm -hmm. And but my thing has always been, um, okay. There are only two places I'm familiar with, which mm -hmm. is Nigeria and here. Yep. I've never been to anywhere else in the continent, right? Yep. So my perspective is always from those two places. Yep. But I've always said that, you know, my I'm not satisfied if one country in the continent is doing well. Because mm -mm. that still does not reflect the entire continent. In order for the perception of the world to change the entire continent itself, my vision is to see where African countries become part of, you know how they, they have the, what's it called, the G20 summit, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were part of that. Right. You know, right. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that has to be a collective thing because, yes, there's a lot of development going on, mm -hmm. but it has to be across the board we need a larger middle class you know right, what i'm saying right. all of those things but um i'm glad you brought that up because i think that is it's important for us and i know 
Quay, you're very passionate about this and, yeah. and super passionate. I mean, yeah, this, yeah. in that short time that he came to my office, there was so much we touched on yeah. um, that really just changed my perspective, even as a filmmaker, someone who was in this space. Right. You know, what is a legacy that I want to leave behind? What, how do mm-hmm. I, what are the type of stories I want to tell? Mm-hmm. Because pop culture is so important. So For the longest time, we didn't tell our stories. Nope. You know what I mean? And that, it, whenever someone is telling the story of your life, and you don't have the pen, that's a problem. That's a you know problem. what I mean? And I think part of why I'm here is is that. Like, mm-hmm. even in America, like, black folk just now started telling their own stories. Yep. You know? Um, but I think it's important that as African kids, we, regardless of where you are, that we know that we have a responsibility to the continent, um, yeah. you know, to keep it alive. But um, any final thoughts before we leave, guys? Yeah, I, I was, I'm going to... Just add on that a little yeah. bit because I think it's also important to understand this is that we all as black people, we all have our own individual superpowers, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And for the continent of Africa to succeed, it's going to require us all putting our superpowers Avengers. together to, to contribute to the continent, right? Yeah. And so when you look at, you know, what, how our, us as a people, how we move and how we do things, a lot of it has to do with media, right? The rest of the world has painted a very specific picture of Africa through the media yeah. that has negated investments, yeah. that has negated, uh, you know, us in particular going back and doing anything with our culture and with our people. And so for Africa to really survive uh, and thrive in the way that it needs to, we need to have more. I feel like it's people like you really yeah. because when you are able to create powerful pieces that tell the story narrative you can already see what's happening now just in the past few years alone look how many people are trying to go back to ghana yeah. i mean nigeria is cool and all but yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> you know nigeria is cool hey, and all hey no shade <laughs> i'm just saying you got a rep i get it yeah i'm yeah. just saying because of you know you have uh, sure. afro uh, what's it called afro uh future afro cella yeah afro cella now afro future afro future now that right there was such a gateway for celebrities to start going to Ghana. Once we start, once celebrities started going to Ghana, now all of a sudden you start seeing a bigger. Every year you started seeing, hearing, oh, Usher went to Ghana for December, da da da. da. Mm-hmm. Oh, Cardi B was in Ghana for da da yeah. da. And then all of a sudden it started springboarding. Now all you got influencers. Now I look in our space right now, the financial literacy space. You got influencers every day that want to go run to Ghana to, to take content or do whatever it is in, in our culture. But the the main thing that's going to change the success of the people in our culture is us taking our superpowers and, and contributing back there, right? Whether it's through media, using our media to tell our stories and tell our narratives and, and paint more pictures, taking our business acumen and, and, and working with entrepreneurs in other countries. If you're not from Africa, adopt a country. Like, yeah. pick a country, goddammit, and just go <laughs> and say, okay, this is going to be the country I'm going to invest into. Uh, shout out to my homegirl, Jessica Lane. Jessica Lane started setting up a Forex trading school in um, Tanzania, Tanzania yeah. right. And use her superpower of Forex trading and skill set to set up a school there that's going to change and impact lives. Yeah. Like, that's how we, you know, we really start to see our, our, our narrative start to change on the continent because without a strong Africa, you don't have a strong black America. You know what I'm mm. saying? Yeah. And that's something that people just don't realize. And, wow. and we think that it's two separate things, and it's not. Yeah. Because, you know, when you see Chinese people in, in America – they typically 
are where they are because they got some type of foundation from back home in China, right? Mm -hmm. Or there's some type of cross collaboration. Hispanic folks come here all the time and they're making money here, sending money back yeah. and they're, they're ping ponging, mm -hmm. helping each other grow, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the money they make here, they go and help build infrastructure there and it goes back and forth. But they have a strong root in who they are, where they come from and what they need to do and what their purpose is. And so I feel like when you have the diaspora come together where, okay, we're making money here. There's a lot of, don't get it twisted. There's a lot of people in Africa getting money right oh, yeah. now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot yeah. of people getting oh, yeah. money. Big money. For sure. And so there's ways yeah. that we can help each other. Once we start to do that, it's a problem for the rest of the world. Woo. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so that's where I think it comes down to is like if you're doing something here, you got a little bit of money, go back there anywhere you want to. Pick a country, do your research, go over there, see what it is, and find out how you can create opportunities that's going to make you make you better your life, wealthier, make you money, but also impact the lives of the culture. Because like Jay said, mm -hmm. America, we don't went through agricultural revolution, industrial revolution, information age. Like now we're in the yep. IT revolution. You got right. all this. AI, Africa, everything. Africa yeah. is still in the agricultural revolution. Yep. We're still trying to figure out how to get fruits and vegetables from, from one side of the country to the yeah. other side of the country yep. without it rotting and spoiling. But then we, we, we're we just now getting into industrialization. So there's so many opportunities, yeah. you know, to, to for, you know, in every age you had people who came out that made billions of dollars, became billionaires. Yeah. McDonald's, yeah. Ray Kroc, and all these people from the, the Rockefellers. Rockefellers. The Vanderbilts. Vanderbilts. Yeah. These, all these people, Dan Cote, it came out of industrialization. Industrial. Africa. Yeah, yep. sure. So it's like there's opportunities everywhere. So and he's the richest, richest black, black man, man in the world. I think. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, he's been for 10 years for straight. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. crazy. So Listen, anyway. we could talk forever, man. Oh, yeah. But I had to bring my brothers on because I knew it was going to be hot. Yeah. It, yeah. They got to come back. Listen, that was going to be a part two because it's just so much um, that, that we. And I, I said this episode, we just going to talk. Because yeah. yeah. I know once the, we, we crack up on the mic, it's mm. on. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're going to see you guys on the next episode, which is the final episode of the High Vibrations Only podcast. And the news is already out. We're going to have radio and TV legend Donnie Simpson as the host of the final episode for season one. But listen, cheat code, man. I know I'm, I'm finna get into this for sure because this year I just really started investing a little bit with Vanguard and everything. So, but we want you to be educated and, you know, elevated in literally every aspect of your life. So keep it locked in. We're going to see you guys again. Thank you. Have a good day.